0: So we have a guest speaker uh, this morning, although he's uh, someone who has n- been connected with this church for many decades, uh, David Chien, who is a longtime missionary in uh, Thailand. Um, I'm going to let Dave uh, share a little bit about where he and his family are at, and also he's going to be bringing us an Advent teaching uh About awakening. So, um, David, do you want to come up? Just let me pray over you for a moment here. Lord, we just thank you for uh, this faithful servant who has served so well and so long, and through um, many times of um, struggle as well as joy. So just uh, we just ask you to anoint him this morning with the words that uh, he's going to share with us, and, to, and we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be just poured out upon him as he speaks and shares from his heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift that his family has been to this church for so long. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Uh, Of first order, I think what we would all agree is that it's good to be here, and thank you for uh, enabling such worship as that. It's uh, a special thing. Uh, Also of importance is to mention right off the bat that uh, Because, you know, we we wear masks, there's often problems that develop and and communication isn't always what it could be. So Eric just said that I'm going to share about awakening. Actually, the the topic is on waiting. So, you know, I had my mask on, so I understand. So I hope you're all awake, you know, awakening in that sense. But what God's laid on my heart this week is uh, the the topic of waiting uh, as Christians. On the 24th of uh, December, this this coming week, the uh, maybe you've read the James Webb Space Telescope will be launched, and this has been in the making since I, I read from 1989. Now that's a long time of a big team doing lots of preparations for a great, uh, you know, who can imagine how 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 involved and complex the, this new space telescope will be, uh, but it's going to be launched on. Uh, December 24th, and it's going to orbit the sun. It's not even orbiting the earth. It's going to orbit the sun and tell us new things, tell the scientists new things about the the universe that we live in. And many people are very excited about it. I think it's a bit ironic that on that day when uh, it is going out to gather in its time reveal and gather the the knowledge that we don't yet have, on that day, or the, the the day that we celebrate, Christ came into the world to reveal things which, as we all know, there is no science or technology or wisdom or knowledge of our own that could have ever conceived. So on the twenty fourth we're reaching out and that's a good thing. But on the twenty fourth, on or the 25th, the season of Advent, Advent, we are celebrating and commemorating the coming of Christ to not only show us things that we didn't know, but to set into process, set into motion the process of the very best thing that could have possibly been uh, for us. Cosmic, cosmic and <laughs> exactly, cosmic process and in our own hearts too. Now, that having been said maybe you're like me that sometimes advent which is supposed to it's supposed to be a time to spiritually prepare ourselves for uh for christmas for the coming of christ and we we prepare ourselves uh, we light the candles sometimes one by one (laughs) we we progress through this season and we wait and we sing songs like come Thou long expected jesus but if you're like me, it's a bit of a, uh, a struggle because it seems a bit pretend. Uh, it's a it's a ritual that is only a ritual, and rituals like Advent being celebrated are very good. They're good for to, to commemorate, so we don't forget. They're good to teach our children. They're good to celebrate corporately, but in a, in a sense, we're not really waiting, are we? Because Christ has already come, and that's the whole purpose of our worship today and our whole purpose for gathering together he's not only come he's not only died and risen he's now ascended into heaven and so when we go through our year and celebrate advent in a way it's it's uh, in theory or perfunctory it's pretending a little bit but of course we're also really waiting and we are not pretending when our hearts are, are, are not yet satisfied because we know that that work, that process, that cosmic process that Christ has initiated is not yet complete. And so we are really waiting. And, and I hope this morning that we can see that that waiting is good. So that's my aim in, 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 in talking with you this morning I I hope that God shows us that waiting as a Christian is a good thing. Now normally it's uh you know as a human waiting is is not always it's not usually a good thing. Waiting is generally seen as a a necessary evil. It's if it's something good that we're waiting for sooner is better, right? And even if it's something bad that we're waiting for like a dentist appointment or something like that sooner is better because if you're like me the the time you're waiting for those bad things really just turns into dread and so it affects all the other good things that are happening so sooner is the better waiting is not seen as something intrinsically good for the most part but it is waiting not only is good for uh, the subjective reasons that, that we can read in Scripture, it's objectively good for us to be required to wait. And uh, some of the, the answers that we might say, well, why is it good? Someone might say, well, actually, I think the best answer is, like last week, uh, Scott talked about the incarnation. And, and we can, you know, we can, when we ask the question, why did Jesus have to come? Uh, we can understand a bit, but in the end, it's basically, we just have to affirm that it was necessary for Christ to come because how God has made us doesn't include the ability to grasp those things. The same with waiting. Why is it good to wait? Well, in the end, because the Bible says, Daniel 12:12 12, 12 says, blessed are those who wait and arrive at the 1,335 days, I believe. Now just as the number 1335 is kind of enigmatic and we don't, you know, de- de- don't matter how many books you read, we're still sort of like God hasn't revealed that one yet. So God hasn't revealed why it why I am blessed if I wait and arrive at that day. We don't really know why it's good, but we can surmise some things. One we might say because it reflects well on our Lord waiting is a pious thing to do in in the view of both those in our in our family and those in the world to wait is a sign of faith so waiting is good because it shows those who are looking at us that that we are uh waiting for God in faith and that is a good thing or uh like the, the the passage that says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So in a practical way, we could say that our need to wait is good because it's in that waiting that we have new strength. Or we might uh, also say that uh, it's good just because what we're waiting for is good. And I think that is very important for us to see. There's like a goodness that gets absorbed. Our waiting absorbs the goodness of the things that we're waiting for. And in the passage, which we're going to look at in Romans chapter 8, we'll see what those good things that we're waiting for are. And just by nature, by virtue of the fact that those are good things, then our waiting for them is a good thing. But I want to surmise one other benefit, one other reason why it's good that we wait. And that is that it helps us uproot our sin. It uproots our sinfulness when we wait. And I hope we'll see that uh, as we as we go on. But turn in uh, Romans chapter 8, and let's read from verse 18. 18 through 25. Romans 8, verse 18. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Waiting is good for us because it uproots the sinfulness that we find in ourselves. So the kernel, or the the core of what our sinfulness uh, is, is autonomy. We see it from the beginning when Eve thought and looked and conversed with the tempter and decided on her own that it would be desirable and it's good, and she reached out. Rather than submitting and waiting and following God, she chose to follow her own way. And so we're like Adam and we're like Eve actually were much less composed than Eve. I'm impressed when I read the account in Genesis that she actually thought and, and seems to have just you know, reached out. I mean, we know it was a horrendous, the most horrendous event in, in mankind, but in, in the history of, ma- of, of humankind, but at least it was composed. What about us? What about when autonomy and that desire to be a law unto ourselves starts to kick in? As it says in James, we covet. We can't obtain, so we fight and we quarrel. It's because of our desire to have it our way and in our time that we are led into sin of of all sorts. So it's the kernel or the, the core of our sinfulness. And so waiting addresses that problem. Waiting makes us uh, aware of God and and not uh, feeling like we're in a vacuum where we can choose our way without consequence. When I was, uh, I think it was shortly after I left uh, living in Madison and coming to faith community, I went down to to go to school in Deerfield, and um, uh, I was living in an apartment down there at the start of the school year, and I thought in my mind after I went to Kmart, there were Kmarts, and I went to a Kmart, and I saw this briefcase. Now this is a trivial example, but I hope you'll see that it's a pattern of how all of our self-determining sinfulness happens. So I I saw this briefcase at at the store and I went home and, and I didn't have a lot of money, like students don't usually, but I really liked that briefcase. And I started thinking, you know, people who go to seminary have to have a briefcase. You know, you got to carry your many books. You got to be in the in the the style of a seminary student. So I thought I think I should have that, but you know, I don't have money, and maybe it's just that I I want it for a bad reason. So I need to pray about it. So there in my apartment, I got down on my knees and I prayed about whether I should buy this briefcase. And like within one minute. I was convinced that I should get this briefcase. My desires were like right there as I was praying. My way, my desires, what I was coveting, and I don't think it's bad to want a briefcase, but those desires were there in my prayer. And in the end, you know, I don't think it was a sin that I got it, but that's a pattern. That's a, a, the way it happens that even in our most holy moments where we 're trying our best to to follow God and to obey His will, our desires are there uh, fighting fighting us and confusing and clouding the the air so there's a a man named David Paulson which uh, is a, he was a counselor, I guess, and he, he wrote a book that uh, had this line in it. And I don't even know the title of the book. I'm sorry, but I don't know the book. But one line stood out to me and has been uh, key for me. And that is, he says, when we actually remember God, we don't sin. When we actually remember God, we don't sin. And that's not like some shortcut to perfection or anything but it's true isn't it what satan does in our minds is we forget god and then we think we're we're in that suspension and we can follow our our own way so waiting helps us uproot our sinfulness because waiting reminds us of god waiting slows it down, and we can see that it's God's will that matters. God's the sovereign one that I must follow. So waiting is good because it it entrenches us or it it wraps us around the fact of God's sovereignty. And the reality that God is sovereign becomes part of our reality more and more reliably. So that might seem a little bit stretched. I hope it, it makes a little bit of sense that that waiting is good because it makes us reverence the sovereignty of God. I can go buy something that I think I want, but it's God's sovereignty which lies over and above that choice. And that is what I have to to focus on. So... One of the other reasons, though, as we already mentioned, that waiting as a Christian is good is because the things we're waiting for are good. So in, in this passage we read, there's two things that I want to point out that we're waiting for. I'm sure you can pick them out without me, but let's look at the first one, which is the end of futility. We're waiting as Christians for the end of futility. And in there it says that creation was subjected to uh, Futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Um, futility. Other places that idea is used of the Gentiles and the futility of their thinking. So if you think that you can sit down with a, a non-believing atheist person who is opposed to God and actually... Um, in your, your own ability, steer his thinking or make him to understand things which, which you want him to understand. If you think you can do that, then creation's not really futile. That's a picture of what this futility means. It's like it's hardwired to not work. Unless something else changes, that person is not going to think according to truth, he's not going to listen and understand and we were all in that position once. Creation was subjected to futility, and we can see it. We see it in the differences that we face with our neighbors that can't seem to be worked out. We wait to be understood by someone. We, we wait for our point of view to be compelling, and it's futile. It won't happen. Because God has subjected it to that. The pandemic that doesn't seem to end, that's a sign of futility. On on the 24th, when they launched that space telescope into into space, all these years of preparation are hinging, literally uh, hinging on one thing, and that is that they're going to be able to unfold it out into space without damaging it. It's I'm not I don't don't think that it won't work but the world that we live in is the type of world where you can build and use the best minds on earth for for 40 years and then it breaks because of a bent hinge or a vibration during takeoff. We live in a a, a feudal world as Christians. As Paul in this passage who yet had hope, but he lived in a futile world. And we can't forget that futility as we wait for the Lord. One thing that's a special subset of this futility is our own Christian experience. Our practices, our faith, our prayers, our worship, our use of spiritual gifts, our enjoyment of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. All of these things we would never say are inferior or flawed, but they are not yet what they will be. We still experience these things in this world and with our flesh that is got futility baked into it by the sovereign God. And so that feeds our hope, that feeds our waiting for God when we realize that. It says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That implies that there's a full harvest to come. And it's good for our souls if we wait for that fullness and, 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 and don't overvalue the things that are present and that we already have. It says uh, in the first verse uh, that the sufferings of this time are not worth comparing. And I'd like you to think about that. If something is not worth comparing, that means we shouldn't compare them. And for me, what the normal pattern was, was, well, what's coming is so much better it's com- I'm comparing it and saying it's so much better, so therefore I can wait. Therefore I can be content now. Therefore I can and hold, hold in the course and follow the Lord because of that blessing that's coming. But it says it's not worth comparing. That shouldn't be the process by which we evaluate our situation and our future and how we're going to cope with this or not cope. It's not just because things are going to be better, like pie in the sky, as our, our our opponents would ridicule us with, it's that there's difference. There is a difference that will happen. And a lot of people ask, is there a continuity or discontinuity between this life and our life with the Lord in heaven? And is it is it sort of a growing, like what we experience now, it just sort of full, fully blooms into our life with Christ in his presence? Or is it a, uh, a little bit of, uh, increase of of glory now and then when Christ comes there's a vastly different experience I don't know what the answer is but I think probably it could be both but it's the danger which I see in myself is that I downplay the discontinuity for the continuity I view what's happening in my life now as a Christian more positively than I should. Let's turn uh, to, or you can listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, I'll read from 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Chapter 2, uh, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The thing that we're waiting for today and for as long as God gives us time here is becoming like Christ. Really. Not by our habituation, our gradual developing virtues. This, We will be transformed to be like Christ. And in a minute, I, I want to look a little bit more of what the implications of being like Christ are. But let's uh, look at the second thing we're waiting for. We're waiting for this transformation, but we're also waiting for the initiation or the establishment of an identity for us each individually. Um, The danger is that we are now, in these days, looking for our identity. So whether you're an adolescent or in midlife crisis or at the end of your life and you're wondering... What, what, what it was all worth, we, we have this inborn urge to know who we are. But if we focus on that, that's contrary to waiting for that identity to be given to us when we become adopted children of God, as it says in, in Romans 8. So we are children of God, but what we will become, as John said, we don't know yet. But if we are not fully, full-throatedly waiting for that, if that isn't our really highest desire that we're willing to submit to God and wait for, if instead we're going to try to find our identity in some other place here and now, then we're not waiting in a way which will help us undermine our sin and glorify God. It feels good to be someone. And I don't think any of us could deny that. We want to know who we are. We want to be someone. What God is teaching me at this time is that I don't need to know that now. As a matter of fact, I don't even need to know the details of what that will be. Ambiguity is okay. But I am waiting for that. I'm submitting to God's sovereignty in the matter. Waiting for Him to bring that day when my true identity will come to to light and be established. When I see Christ and I'm transformed to be like Him. There's another way why, there's another reason why seeking an identity here and now, whether it be as a, a good uh, teacher or a good mother or a good anything or someone who is recognized, there's another danger to that. And that is because most of the things which the world seeks and which we uh, as well seek as sort of a self--authenticating uh, uh, I- identity, are not like Christ. Does it feel good to be someone? If it feels good to be someone, I think we can say Christ never knew that feeling. Christ didn't know that feeling that we have of someone acknowledging me as something. He didn't know that because Christ always was giving himself, emptying himself. Even if you're a theologian, I suppose you talk about the Trinity. In the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Son is always obeying the Father, always doing the Father's will. doesn't matter what Christ's will, the Son's will is, always obeying. That's the identity of the Son. That's who Jesus was. And we see that in, in the visible things of Him giving His life for us, dying for us, paying the penalties for our sin. So if on that day when we see Christ and are made to be like Him, we're going to follow that same pattern. If that lies ahead of us, how does that make you feel? It's not like the world would want us to feel. It's not like we living here, even among the, in the church, would feel. We're supposed to have our, even though a gift of, of the Spirit is used to serve another person, It's still something which is very difficult to forget. I am possessing. It's me, the user of God's gift. And the ego continues to get in the way. But when God's work in us is done, when we become like Christ, we will be giving as Christ gives. Now, I... I I I read something recently which is still in my mind to grasp, but it seems important to me uh, in my life uh, at least, and I want to share that. It's about humility. So we tend to think of humility as thinking little of ourselves or low of ourselves. The idea of us having no concern for ourselves is an even better humility. And the reason why now I don't do so good at being humble that way, the reason now why it's it's hard for me to just be giving is because I'm worried about something. I'm worried that I am going to run out of being someone. I'm go- if, I, if I give how will I get replenished? If I sacrifice for someone or if I let someone, you know, use, abuse or or mistreat me, how will I survive that? When we are made like Christ, that worry won't be there because Christ was always doing the Father's will always does the Father's will, and the Father always gives. And likewise, our resurrection life will follow that pattern as well. So we will give without a concern or consideration of what's that going to do to the balance in my life? Because we know that God will always be replenishing our life. So eternal life, in that sense, is not like a, a, a life that goes on forever, But eternal life is a new way of living. Our way of living now is I've got to guard the resources. I've got to guard my identity. I've got to keep me as me so that I can function in in the world. But the new way of life, which by God's grace we will uh, approximate as we go through and wait in this life, will be, I just give, I just give. Like we we, we read this morning, the open heart. Our hearts are meant to be open, and they're not open now, but God's goal and and purpose for us is that they will be, and that we'll have that sort of eternal life, always giving. And that would be the the point at which we reach true humility. Now, I I, I think we should focus on the fact of God's grace, um, because if we feel like we... Should be that way. Then sometimes we will forget that it's a gift that we're that way. And there's a a, pass, a, a verse in First um, Peter one thirteen. Let me read that. First Peter one thirteen speaks about uh, the end, the consummation. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If that change happens, and it will happen, that's what we're waiting for. It's the grace of God. I like the picture of that the grace that will be brought to you. So picture that. Christ is returning, or we meet Christ. That moment when we see Christ as he is in our transform, grace will be brought to us, like carried before us, and we receive it. So the idea of growing and, and being humble and being servant-minded Selfless is a gracious thing. It's a thing which God will bring us, not because of what we've done. Well, I kind of got a little bit (laughs) lost, but let me me try to bring things together and, and hope it's an encouragement to you. We're Christians, children of God, We have blessings. But like Psalm 23 says, God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So all the blessings that we have, the worship that we can enjoy together, the gifts of the Spirit that we use, the common graces in society and in the world are not complete. And there's still a futility There's a futility that is hovering around us. So we wait. And I want to encourage you to be full-throated, wholehearted in your waiting. Advent is over, the four weeks of waiting. Now Christmas comes, we celebrate Christmas. But keep waiting. Keep hungering for that time when one, that futility won't be here anymore. There will be a time when even sin won't be pleasurable at the renewal. So that's one thing we're waiting for, and we're waiting, continue to wait for your identity, the identity that God wants for you to be established, that we will be like Christ, not in sort or type, but we'll be made like Him to be able to give with with lavishness live a life of just giving serving others serving god getting a crown for sure in in heaven getting that crown but casting that crown down getting but giving don't keep it give it that's what christ is for us now and that's the thing that we are waiting for for each of us and and as a practical help this week you know Trivial things can be made sacred, can't they? So we wait for all sorts of things. We wait for test results. We wait for our turn in line. We wait for the red light to turn. We wait for healing. We wait for loved ones to come to Christ. We wait to be understood. We wait for things every day. And most of them are trivial, part of sort of a a common life together. But they too can be tools in God's hands in our lives. So this week, when you're waiting for any one of those things, let it be a token or an emblem of the fact that, yes, I am waiting. I am a child of God, but I'm a waiting child of God. I am as secure in Christ as I possibly could be. A Christ isn't finished with me yet. Let's have that waiting mentality. And the other thing that's practical that I thought of as very difficult is this week when we look at each other, let's remember that just as I'm waiting, you're waiting too. It might slow down the vexation that I sometimes feel. The frustration at this person or that person. We're all waiting. We're waiting together. So Advent is over. Next, this week, the last week of Advent, friends, we're still waiting. And uh, in our waiting, let's make it a, a good waiting, a beneficial waiting, a waiting that, acknowledges God's sovereignty, that reverences that that sovereignty, that worships God. So our waiting can be worship, and that's what I want to exhort you today to do. Wait for God as a worship of God, not just a comfort that you know He will come in the end, but thank Him and worship Him that He has given us almost unlimited opportunity to wait. So let's pray together and ask him to accomplish that in us uh, this week and into the rest of our lives. Our Father, we do thank you for the commemorations of things like Advent. Uh, We remember that there were people who had to wait in a more difficult, as it were, environment as they waited for the first coming of Christ they did not have any of the assurances that we have through your spirit and through our new birth and through our eyes being opened to see Christ. We remember that as something to never be forgotten, the way your salvation has unfolded through history. And Lord, now though we pray that all of us here would go forward not downplaying the need to wait. And though we rejoice in the blessings of freedom in Christ now, Lord, we look to that greater liberation when creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. And when sin won't reign in our hearts, and that our sinful natures will be done away with, and the redemption of our bodies will occur. Lord, these are things which are future, and they're part and parcel of our faith. Lord, keep us from growing distracted from them. Keep us from choosing other alternatives, like trying to better our world, or to mitigate the enemies, or by trying to prop up an identity, keep us from hoping in things which are short of what's best. Lord, as we look at each other, remind us inwardly, even if we never are brave enough or bold enough to say it out loud, that we recognize that each of us are struggling as it is through waiting, the the waiting is not romantic, it's difficult. And help us have that understanding for each other and use that understanding to be ministry to one another. Oh Lord, today we do worship you with the songs we've sung for what you have done, and we wait together for what is to come. In Christ's name, amen.